0: making people's lives better.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. All the sex I've ever had in three, two, one. It's a provocative performance piece at this year's Luminato Festival. All the Sex I've Ever Had brings together a number of Zoomers from around the world to share sexual secrets from their youth and later in life. Today, we'll hear from Darren O'Donnell, the show's creator, and Betty Logan, a 76-year-old participant. Plus, it's been another exciting week on the Ontario election trail, with a lot of finger-pointing over leaked documents on a proposed multi-million dollar government bailout. And the week was capped off with a debate hosted by CARP here at the Zoomerplex. We'll revisit that and sort through the issues with our special weekly Zoomer election panel. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This week, the House of Commons passed an opposition motion regarding an important health care issue for Zoomers, palliative care. The NDP-led motion asks the federal government to come up with a national strategy. It calls on the Harper Conservatives to work with the provinces and territories to ensure access to high-quality home-based and hospice palliative care. Conservative Health Minister Ronna Ambrose reacted positively. Here's an example of the adage, with age comes wisdom. Life experience has led to a change of mind for 73-year-old Uruguayan writer Eduardo Galeano. Forty years ago, he wrote The Open Veins of Latin America, which has been embraced as an anti-colonialist, anti-capitalist, and anti-American text in that region. Venezuela's former president, Hugo Chavez, even gave a copy of the book to U.S. President Barack Obama the first time they met. But now, Galliano has disavowed the book, saying he was not qualified to tackle the subject, and it was badly written. Brian Mulroney is about to assume greater responsibility at telecom and media giant Quebec Orb. The 75-year-old former prime minister will be named board chairman at its annual meeting next month. Pierre-Carles Peladeau stepped down as chairman in March when he announced plans to enter politics. Mulroney is currently vice chairman of the board. Peladeau was elected to the Quebec legislature in April and is considered a top candidate to take over the leadership of the Parti Québécois. This move could signal an attempt by Québécois to distance itself from Pélido. The view is that his political ambitions are hindering the company's efforts to expand its cellular business outside Quebec. And finally this week, we lost one of the great American voices of the 20th century, Maya Angelou. She rose from poverty, segregation, and violence to become a force on the printed page, on stage, and on screen. Angelou's autobiography, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, made her the first African-American woman to write a bestseller. She acted on stage and was a newspaper editor and broadcaster in Africa for several years, She worked with Martin Luther King and became a mentor to Oprah Winfrey. In 1993, U.S. President Bill Clinton asked her to read at his first inauguration. Her poem, On the Pulse of Mourning, became a million-seller. Maya Angelou passed away peacefully at her home in West Salem, North Carolina. She was 86. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world.
2: Will you support a guaranteed annual minimum income to replace all social supports? Charles Sousa. We are. Christine Elliott. No. No. Sherry DeNovo. Yes. All right. Will you commit to enhancing CPP contributions and benefits? Christine Elliott. Yes. Sherry DeNovo.
1: Yes, absolutely.
2: Charles Sousa. Yes.
1: That was some of the rapid-fire section of CARP's election debate that was staged here at the Zoomerplex on Friday. It was an in-depth look at the issues that affect Zoomers most— health care, jobs, pension reform. While groups like CARP are trying to focus on the issues, the campaign still seems to be mired in mudslinging. This week, the headlines were all about leaked Cabinet documents about a proposed plan to bail out the Mars Innovation Hub— which is on the verge of defaulting on its $234 million government loan. What part of this is sticking with the voters? I'm here with our Zoomer election panel. Susan Eng, CARP's vice president of advocacy, Dale Goldhawk, host of Goldhawk Fights Back, and John Wright, senior VP of Ipsos Reid.
2: I don't think eight people out of ten are going to fully understand and appreciate it. Yeah, it sounds kind of inept and kind of dumb, perhaps, in some aspects of what they were doing. But in terms of a real scandal with horns on it, I don't think so.
3: No, and, I, and it, what little I understand of it is that Mars got itself into trouble um, and because they had borrowed the money from the government. And so the government gets involved and decides instead of losing it's a loan. They're going to buy the building and house uh, the civil servants who otherwise were in leased offices. So, if we were, weren't in the campaign mode, I think that people would say, well, that's not a bad business decision. Yeah. John, what do you think?
4: I think a lot of this sort of stuff where we're into throwing numbers around is just above the public's head. I think if you didn't like the liberals in the first place and you're paying attention, this will just add to that. But whether you're, you know, looking at Tim Hudak's jobs issues or the premier's platform or an economist who's talking out there about that stuff, there's a lot of blah, blah, blah going on. And people are really waiting, I think, if they haven't made up their mind, is to see what happens in the aftermath of the debate.
1: Do we have a clearer sense, uh, John, of what people are focusing on now, if they are focusing at all on this?
4: It is a rather strange election campaign. I think. What people are focused on is change. The poll that we've just put out, which, you know, we've continued to ask this question of whether the government deserves to be reelected. We're only finding uh, 31% say that that should be the case. And, you know, what was interesting in looking through the details was even uh, one in seven committed liberal voters believe that the government did not deserve to be reelected. So we've got such a huge wave of change out there that the real question will be whether any of the substantive issues matter and whether or not, if you're already committed to a party, that you're going to go out and vote. But I think right now, Libby, that the really important issue for the Liberals is to galvanize and to energize their vote to get out because I don't don't see it in the numbers. In fact, we have Liberals actually believing that they're going to win the election, but most of them not prepared to go out and vote. So that's a big problem
2: in terms of my uh, uh, caller tracking. You're right, John. I don't hear the enthusiastic support for the Liberal Party, although I do hear enthusiasm for uh, Tim Hudak's ideas. Maybe not necessarily Tim Hudak, but some of those ideas. And also, I hear almost no enthusiastic support for Andrea Horvath.
1: Susan, uh, we just had the carp debate here and uh unlike a lot of what's been happening in this election campaign it really focused on substantive issues and we did get detailed answers from people from the candidates about their platform so what impact is that going to have did you i got the sense that health care was really still number one Yes, absolutely, Libby. I mean, one of the problems in the
3: election campaign so far is the horse race has uh, soaked up all of the media attention. And the specific concerns and issues that matter to people to allow them to make a decent choice when they get in behind that cardboard barrier, they haven't been really talked about. And in our debate, I found that the representatives really did a good job fleshing out the issues, talking about what their promises meant, how it would actually affect affect me, the voter. And I think that's something that's going to be important. And I, I like to think that that debate, the CARP debate, will actually add to the political
1: discourse out there. John, we're we're coming up on the televised debate next week. So are people who haven't been paying attention going to pay attention to something there?
4: Well, I think there's a, a good portion of people who, who are going to be looking to the debate to confirm in their minds whether they're going to go and vote or not. There's at least 14% of people who intend to watch it very astutely and and see where they go.
2: I think it's very crucial what happens after the debate and then in that final week. John, you know from so many years of doing this kind of stuff, things, attitudes can change. Maybe not that much, but enough to really make a difference. Maybe a difference, for example, between a majority government and a minority government.
1: I hate to get into the strategics of it, but... If people on the left decide they have to stop Tim Hudak, does that play out as a victory for the Liberals?
4: Right now we have on the turnout vote so many Conservatives going out to vote that unless the Liberals actually activate their voter support to get out and vote, then making the choice between the two just isn't going to matter. So I, I think the real problem here is that You're going to have uh, Liberals and New Democrats trading off against each other in terms of who should stop Tim Hudak. And that's not enough to have a majority or a plurality to actually stop
1: him. What are you going to be looking for in the next week, Susan?
3: I'm going to be watching the televised debate with some interest. For the first time, we're going to see the three leaders in the same room. There could be an opportunity for them to really uh, slug it out because I would say the three leaders are not too friendly towards each other. I think there's going to be a certain amount of emotion behind some of the debate. I
2: think the leaders also have to demonstrate that they're up for the job, that they're capable of leading a party uh, and a government. And we haven't seen the three of them together frequently enough to know that.
4: John? I agree with both of those points completely, so I'm going to go in a different direction. And that's what I'm going to watch is where the leaders actually go in the province. We see in federal campaigns that if you are going to win seats or you have the chance to win them, you go there. So if the Premier hangs around Toronto, then I don't think she's got other seats that she's going to be able to muster, and she's trying to hold up support in Toronto. If she gets out of Toronto, it'll probably tell us that they've got a hope of bringing back some more seats for the Liberals. So I'm going to watch where they go, not what they say.
1: Okay, that's interesting. Thank you all. Thank you.
4: Pleasure.
1: We'll bring you another special Zoomer election panel next week just ahead of the election and one more to wrap everything up two weeks from now. I'm Libby Zneimer and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. In just a moment, we'll return with a preview of the most buzzworthy show at this year's Luminato Festival. All the sex I've ever had. You won't want to miss
0: it. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better.
1: As the old song goes, birds do it, bees do it, and apparently so do Zoomers. While our youth-obsessed culture ignores the intimacy of our elders, Toronto Performance Company Mammalian Diving Reflex is making its contribution to a new vision of aging by tackling this topic with all the sex I've ever had. The show features some sexy senior men and women open up about their sexual adventures and misadventures and sharing their private histories. I sat down with director Darren O'Donnell and performer Betty Logan.
5: One of the things we're trying to do is create an atmosphere, a a social situation that you don't ordinarily encounter, which is a bunch of people talking openly about sexuality and an intergenerational conversation. So we hope that we generate that and we've been able to do that everywhere and we're confident about that.
1: What's it like acting in that show, Betty?
6: Well, it's not acting. It's telling my stories. I wouldn't call it acting at all. It's people sharing their stories from the stage. Mm. And are you a professional actress? No, no. We're ordinary people who are telling about our lives.
1: What appealed to you about the idea of talking about your sex life?
6: (laughs) Not much appealed to me at the beginning, that's for sure. (laughs) It was a free trip to Germany that appealed to me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You're telling the truth. (laughs) But once I got there, it was very liberating to to talk with the other people. And it, and it wasn't salacious or anything like that. It's just talking about your relationships that you've had that have been sexually based or intimate relationships. But there are all kinds of spin-off things to that. So it isn't sort of about sex per se. When you first see this
1: as a concept, it's, it's fairly shocking. Was that the idea?
5: We're performing in edgy festivals, so you know the context is, is doesn't surprise people that much. Um, but then it was mostly to yeah, there was there's an aspect of of trying to bring something into the general discussion that doesn't get talked about anymore. Not to shock, but to enlighten. More to the point. My experience with with working with these people is that there's a lot of um courage and generosity there. So people don't sweat the small stuff anymore. Um, the things that f- used to freak people out when they were 20 years old just don't freak people out anymore. Um,
1: Sexual things,
5: any things, like the things that you know, like embarrassment around this or that, or or hum- humiliating experiences by being dumped, things like that. People are much more resilient when they're older because they've been through it. It hasn't been the world hasn't collapsed. Everything's everything's fine. So it was it was seeing all of that and then trying to, to draw draw those things out and share those with the audience and and then create an atmosphere of generosity there where, where we could have a discussion. The audience is invited to participate with discussion. They're asked questions. They're polled. Those who feel like chatting about stuff are given a microphone and, and they, can, they can chat.
1: Betty, first of all, how old are you? 76. Wow, you look fantastic. <laughs>
6: Thank you. <laughs> and you still have regular sex? Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sexy. <laughs> I, I, I think this sex business is not so important really. It's sexuality. Right. We never lose our sexuality. And whether or not you're having a sexual relationship in a the way you think of it traditionally, I think is not so important. Now
1: I know you you, you went for the uh you went for the trip and <laughs> and the free bratwurst, but what about the project really speaks to you?
6: I think the gratitude we received from the younger people in the audience. They were so appreciative to learn how older people feel. Just genuine gratitude. And some people were so moved by the performance that they, they couldn't even speak after. They had to walk out and not socialize. And so I think it's very important to let younger people know that, you know, you don't shrivel up when you get older. Maybe you get wrinkles in your face and your body sags, but... You're still the person you were before and you can still react the same.
5: And I think it's important to note that, that it's about all the sex that they've ever had and that, that it, it's, not, it's not a theme around, around older people are still having sex, although that's very much a part of it when you get some people's stories. But then it's about how they, people's sexuality, the evolution of their sexuality over an entire lifetime. The first things you're hearing are, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm five years old and there's Jimmy down the block and um, I find him awfully attractive and he steals my book. And eventually you're hearing about Lita, the 80-year-old in Prague, who every Thursday has her boyfriend over and and they have sex on the dining room table. So we eventually get to that.
1: Before you did this, did you have any awareness of a kind of burgeoning of uh, a new vision of aging, the kind of thing that that is kind of our motto here, mm-hmm. uh, and just people living longer and and ideas about aging changing did you have that kind of consciousness or did it come after
5: absolutely it was i mean a completely deliberate strategic move to make this show knowing that there's this the the, there's baby boomers who are not going to go quietly who are the people that sort of broke the walls open around talking about sexuality they're going to want to keep on talking about it and there's going to be lots of people interested in this and so let's make a show that's related to this so for sure it was very conscious of it
1: Okay, Darren and Betty, thanks so much for Mm -hmm. joining us, and good luck with the show. All
5: right, thanks Mm -hmm. a lot.
1: All the sex I've ever had will run at Luminato June 12th through June 15th. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, we'll celebrate the birthday of Pat Boone.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome
1: back to the Zoomer Week Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Nimer. It's time for your international arts datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, well known for his Shakespearean acting, Academy Award-nominated Kenneth Branagh stars in Macbeth.
7: I have supped full with horrors. Direness, familiar to my slaughterous thoughts, cannot once start me. Wherefore was that cry?
1: It's at the Park Avenue Armory. In Chicago, a world-famous icon of the Art Institute's Impressionist collection is back on display. Paris Street, Rainy Day, has spent the past seven months in the museum's conservation studio, undergoing its first overall treatment since 1964. The work is described as wonderfully refreshed, revealing qualities that had been hidden for decades. And in Barcelona, the Picasso Museum is hosting an exhibition of 80 works by artists from around the world whose paintings were influenced by Picasso. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook.
7: today,
1: Today, Pat Boone is celebrating his 80th birthday. The singer is a living legend. Believe it or not, he was the second biggest charting artist of the late 1950s, only beaten by Elvis Presley. He has sold over 45 million albums, has had 38 top 40 hits, and appeared in more than 12 Hollywood movies. Pat Boone's career began in 1954 when he started recording for Republic Records. But it was a cover of a Fats Domino song that sprang to the top of the Billboard charts in 1955 and made him a household name. And that's what we'll hear today. Here's Pat Boone singing Ain't That a Shame.
7: You made me cry when you said goodbye. Ain't that a shame? My tears fell like rain. You said
1: Pat Boone with Ain't That a Shame. Boone is celebrating his 80th birthday today. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week when we have a look at how things are shaping up as we head into the final few days of the Ontario election.
0: You've been listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive Producer, Moses Nyman. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program Director, John Bandreel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.